Today's sermon is taken from Ecclesiastes 1, verse 1 to 11. Hear the word of the Lord. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness, a man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has already been in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Joanna. Guys, let's pray one more time before we start our sermon. Father, the book of Ecclesiastes calls us to wake up and look at life as it is. And Father, if in our hearts we find resistant to it, or if you see resistant to it, I pray you be kind and merciful to us, that we would start to live life as it is, and view this world as it is, and thus being able to worship you and glorify you as you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So friends, welcome again to CCC. I'm Tezar, one of the elders here at CCC, and as been mentioned earlier, we're going to be going through another series for the next few months. I think there's 12 chapters in Ecclesiastes, so that's a lot of of sermons uh, that that we're going to do in that, and I hope that we can see how this book would lead us to worship. And and as I studied Ecclesiastes, I've had books that bring me peace and joy. I've had literature that's brought me to be somber and melancholic, but I've never had a piece of literature do both at the same time until I studied the book of Ecclesiastes. Usually when you read something and you, and you see that this thing brings you peace and joy, that book or that literature is filled with optimism about life, right? It says that you're strong, you're capable, you're going to change the world, and 2019 is going to be a great year. And you're like, yes, that's awesome. I want to continue reading this book. But what Ecclesiastes here is saying is actually you're very, very, very small. And if you take into account everything, all of history, everything under the sun, we're very small. And 2019, it's just going to be another year. I mean, sure, things might happen. You might get promoted. Your business might pick up. You might even get married. You might even have a kid, a few kids. You might even become the next CEO of your company. Or you might even die. But whatever 2019 brings you, It's happened to trillions of people before you, and it's going to happen to trillions of other people after you. So, 2019. Yay. (laughs) It's depressing, right? But in a weird way, it freed me up and actually gave me peace and joy. I know you think that's because I have two kids under the age of three, and I haven't slept in three years, and I'm just depressed. So books like this bring me joy. But regardless, maybe that's true, regardless, this is the word of God. 
and is placed in the Bible by God. And for the same reason why other books are placed in the Bible by God. See, God leads his people to worship differently through different books, through different passages in the Bible. Each books have different routes to bring us to fall in our knees into worshiping him. The psalm, for example, does it, a lot of it, by exemplifying of what worship is and what it looks like. That's why you have prayers there in the psalms. The book of Romans, for example, God reminds us the reason for our worship, right? The cross and how Jesus died and, 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 and the, uh, the death He's, he's died for our sins that we may be forgiven for our sins. The book of James, for example, leads us to worship by warning us of, of what a life of non-worship looks like and, and will bring. We have to worship it and it's full of warnings. Ecclesiastes leads us to worship by waking us up from living in our make-believe world that prohibits worship. We all live, Ecclesiastes says, in a make-believe world that makes us not worship. And waking up isn't fun. There's three things that he points out in order to shake us away from our make-believe world and make worshipers out of us. Point one, the pointless cycle of life. Point two, the tiresome repetitiveness of life. Point three, the only gain in life. The pointless cycle of life, the tiresome repetitiveness of life, and the only gain in life. If this is your first time here, you're probably not going to come back in the issue because of this. But just hang on. I think, I think it'll be fruitful. Point one, the pointless cycle of life. Okay, first quick introduction to the book. Ecclesiastes is a collection of words of wisdom by Solomon. Okay, but most commentators agree that Solomon himself didn't actually write the book. Look at verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. Who is the preacher that is also the son of David that also became the king of Jerusalem? You read 1 Kings, even chapter 1, you see that's Solomon, right? But notice what verse 1 says. These are the words of the preacher. In other words, Solomon didn't write it himself. Someone else did. Look at verse 2. Again, it says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. The preacher here is in third person, right? Someone else wrote down these words of the preachers. We don't know exactly who, but we know why. If you skip to the end, chapter 12, verse 12, it's not, an, it's not printed out. Um, the author says this. After he wrote everything, he says, My son, beware of these things. Here's the purpose of the book. A wise man, let's call him the narrator, wrote down the words of Solomon, let's call him the preacher. Why? To instruct his son so that his son would wake up and grow up and be a wise and obedient worshiper of God. That's the purpose of the book. How does Solomon's words do that for the narrator's son? See, children like to create make-belief worlds. Elena, for example, my, my two-year-old, loves playing doctor right? All it takes uh, 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 is a fake doctor toolkit, and all of a sudden, I'm the patient, she's the doctor, and I have cuts all over my body, and she heals all my cuts with a toy scalpel, which makes no sense. But that's how pretend make-believe worlds work, right? The book of Ecclesiastes, what it does is it takes that child and puts them in a real hospital and says, at some point, you got to start living in reality. And son, the narrator says, in a real hospital, not every sick person gets better. People die. Look around. They're dying, and people cry. And at some point, you've got to accept the hard realities of life. No matter how difficult or gloomy that reality may be, or else you'll never grow up, you'll never be wise, and you'll never actually begin to live. Here's the first hard reality, okay, the narrator says, that you've got to accept. Here it is. At the end of your life, in this world after the sun, you will not have anything to show for it. 
at the end of your life under the sun, you will have no gain. And when I read this, I found myself reacting, yes, I will. Watch, I'm going to live such a productive life that I'll have a lot of things to show for at the end of my life. Nope. Solomon says, look at verse 2. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Vanity just means meaningless. Vanity of vanities means most meaningless of all meaninglessness. Reading the Bible, we hear king of kings, right? It's the kingest of all kings. The holy of holies is the holiest place of all the holy places. Vanity of vanities. It's, it's, it's the most, it's all meaningless. It's all vain. What's, what's meaningless? All the toil and work that we do under the sun. Verse 3. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? The word gain, it's a hard concept to really narrow down, but I think a good way to describe it is, is surplus, net profit. Gain is a pile of achievements and accomplishments that will stay and remain at the end of your life. The preacher is saying to think that one day at the end of your life, you're going to have a pile of gain to show for is a nice thought, but is as fake as a fake hospital. In reality, that pile will not exist. Why not? He explains in verses 4 to 7. Because life is cyclical in nature. Look at, look at everything described in verse 4 to 7. Everything's cyclical. Verse 4. Generation comes and gener- generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. In other words, you'll die, your children will die, your grandchildren will die, and the strength of love that you have for your loved ones will not stop them from dying either. That's a harsh reality, but generation comes and generation comes up again, then dies again, then comes up again. It's cyclical. Verse 5. The sun rises... The sun goes down, and it hastens the place where it rises. It's cyclical. You know, it's almost comedic. In, in, in the Psalms, there's Psalm 19 where he psalms a lot of part is, is really, uh, you know, worshipful and, and joyful. It talks about the sun rising, Psalm 19, with such poetic grandeur, right? It says, the sun, Psalm 19 says, comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Here, Psalm saying, yeah, but then it goes back down. <laughs> He's like that friend you don't want to take to a party, right? He's just party killer. It's going to back down, then it's going to rise again, then it's going to go back down again, then it's going to be repetitive and monotonous, and it's going to be a tiresome cycle for millennia. Big deal. And verse 6, the wind. You know, when the wind blows, it seems like things are really busy, right? Leaves are moving. There's loud whirling noises. Everything looks busy and productive. Things are happening and gain is being produced. But really, there's no real gain. It, it, it starts in the south, then goes to the north, and it just goes round and around and around. There's no gain. Things just look busy. It's a cyclical, repetitive, gainless pattern. Water's not much different. Look at verse 7. All streams run into the sea, but the sea doesn't actually gain water. Sea levels don't actually rise. The water just flows to another place. Like the wind, rushing waters again seem busy, right, and loud. And things are happening. Things are producing. Production is being produced and gain is being gained. Busy, busy, busy. But look at it. At the end, it doesn't add up to anything. The sea isn't affected. It just goes back around. Here's the first big wake-up call. Life under the sun is meaningless because at the end, all your hard work will result in no gain. Why not? Because life, here it is, life is cyclical, not linear. What does he mean? See, we often view life as if it's a linear thing. 
It's a linear road, and as we pass by this linear road, we work, and we do, and we create, and we get busy, and we gain as much as we can, and then at the end of this linear road, we're going to be left with this standstill net profit surplus gain. And we say, oh, it's not too bad. Look at my life. It amounted to something. And then you look at other people's gains, and you're like, ah, you know, it's not the best, but it's not the worst. What Solomon is saying, that's a nice make-believe worldview. Here's the reality. Reality under the sun is that life is not a linear road in where we have surplus at the end that accumulates. No, it's cyclical. And at the end of it, all we gain will cycle away. It'll elude from your fingers like smoke does. Let's start with the first thing money, shall we? The surplus that we all think will end up at the end. Money. Let me ask you this. Before debit cards and credit cards existed, why do a lot of people wash their hands after touching money? Because they realize that money has been touched by a lot of people before them, and it's going to be touched by a lot of people after them. It's going to cycle away. Debit and credit cards don't stop money from cycling away. We just don't physically see it when it's happening. Yeah, okay, sure, money will cycle away, but if I save it, right, if I don't spend it and I just save it and I pile it up, then I'll have a pile, right? Yeah, but then you'll die. Okay, but then my children will get it. My, my, my grandchildren will regret it. Yeah, but then generation comes and generation goes. Or they'll spend it all. They won't save it. And then the elusive green paper will continue to make its rounds, gladly welcomed by every new owner, thinking that it will remain with them forever. But money knows better, doesn't it? It knows that either by force or will, some way, somehow, it's going to make its circle cycle with no real master on earth. Okay, fine. How about if I buy stuff with my money? Okay? If I, if I buy things, then that'll stay. Nope. It'll rot. You might lose it. Your two-year-old might break it, like it did with me a few times. And if it remains till the day you die, I'd congratulate you, but you'd be dead. Okay, how about the big business empire that I'm going to make? I'm going to make this really big business empire, and I'm going to be a shark in my industry. Okay, that will last, right? Well, yeah, if your kids don't take over and liquidate it, and they make a lot of money out of it, and money will rotate again, or your kids decide to keep it, you know what they say. The first generation builds it. The second generation makes it great. The th third generation wastes it all. That saying didn't come out of nowhere, you know. And even if it lasts three or four generations, how long can it really go? 100? 200? 300 years? Eventually, it'll circulate around the big players of your particular market, assuming that your market still even exists. <laughs> and even if your market and company does exist years after years after years, so what really? You'll be long dead. But that's it, right? That's it, you might say. I said, I'll be dead, but at least I'll be remembered as the originator of something great right? A good family name. That's it. A good family name. That's the gain. That's the gain that's going to stand still at the end of my linear road. That's what's going to last. Maybe, assuming your kids and your grandkids don't mess it up. And even if they don't mess it up, will you really be remembered? Do you know who the richest man is right now? Bill Gates or just Bezos, right? Owner of Amazon, arguably. Do you know who the richest man was 10 years ago? Do you know who the richest man was 50 years ago? Do you know who the richest man was 100, 200 years ago? You don't. You know why? Because at this point, who cares? Who cares? You don't even know the name of your ancestors from hundreds of years ago. Let's just say 100. Let's keep it singular. I wonder, 
I'm touching on a sensitive cultural vein here, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to emphasize a point that I wonder. I'm being curious, not accusatory, okay? I'm curious. I wonder, perhaps, the reason why some parents from some cultures are so anxious about making their kids go to the tombs of their ancestors and remember them and remember them and remember them every single year, I wonder if any of that may be driven by a deep, hidden fear of not wanting to be forgotten themselves. I wonder. Because deep down inside, we're haunted by the real-life reality people forget. And even if you do have the name that is remembered by a lot of people forever, Solomon says, look, you're still not here. A good name doesn't give you immortality, you know. You're still dead. Now, you might say, okay, depressing. But I got to work because I got to eat and I got to drink, right? I can't just not toil and not work. I got to provide water and food for myself, my family. I can't just sit around and do nothing. Good. Yes, you're starting to get it, Solomon's saying. You remember what he said? Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 15, it's a famous saying. What did he say? Eat, drink, be merry. You're starting to get it. You can enjoy life, work. Work is good, get money. You can enjoy life, eat, drink, and be merry. But see, the joy for money and work, Solomon says, comes from the way we make life enjoyable during it as you eat and drink and be merry. Not by the way it'll contribute to your imaginary pile at the end of it. That still doesn't exist. You can save, spend, build an empire, have a good name, whatever it is. Let enough generations go by everything. Everything we do, we'll do merry-go-round and cycle away. To live life as if it's a linear train track road and at the end of it you're going to be left with a big pile of gain is to live like a child in a world of make-belief. Here's a real world. Life is more like a giant Ferris wheel. Imagine... Every gain you think you have at the end is inside each booth of this Ferris wheel. Money, fame, big business empire, family, whatever it is, descendants. During this lifetime, you may get to ride in one booth or another. If you're lucky, you may even find yourself in a booth that has multiple of those things. Good. But eventually you'll die. And the Ferris wheel will continue to spin just the same. And the only difference is that you're not in line anymore. Should I end the sermon? And, yeah. I was seven verses in Ecclesiastes, and I already found myself wanting to go back to my fake hospital. I just, that's no way. That's too depressing. That, that can't be reality. And Solomon's with us. He isn't some first-year college student that took philosophy 101 and then came back and started spitting out all his new philosophical discoveries. No, he was existentially affected by all this. Look at verse 8. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. He's saying, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. I can't even put into words. Because <laughs> no matter what experience I have, what I've gained under the sun, and he's experienced and gained a lot. You know, he says, it'll just cycle away. And I'm tired. So, but the child in him refuses to wake up, refuses to accept the cyclical pattern of life. So he finds one more line of defense, okay? If you can't look forward to prove it, there's one more line of defense he thinks he can say so that he can defend his linear view of life. And that thing is called history. Point number two, the tiresome repetitiveness of life. Okay, I can prove the cyclical thesis wrong, he says. Here's how. Look back at history. I mean, come on, we've advanced so much for these thousands of years, right? Just take a look at technology, right? Technology progresses in a linear manner. It's improving every time. So surely it's a linear uh, 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 worldview here, and at the end we're going to have something to show for. Look at Steve Jobs. 
Surely Steve Jobs has something to show for, the iPhone, right? The preacher says, nope. Verse 9 to 10. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing which it is said, see, this is new? It has already been ages, already in the ages before us. But iPhone, <laughs> right? And, and, and we show that that's going to last. Is it, that's never been done before. That's surely new under the sun. Well, yes, in form, but not in essence. Let me explain. Essentially, the iPhone is just the same thing presented in a shinier way. There's an author, a journalist called William Powers. He wrote a book. Uh, that gives us today principles of how to live in a healthy digital age of screens. Okay, it's called Hamlet's Blackberry. I've never actually read the full book, but I've seen quotes from it. And, and William Powers points out something interesting in this book. He says that, yes, modern man creates iPhones and, and, and screens for entertainment uh, to connect and for the efficiency of information. But in essence, the human desire to be entertained, to connect, and to gather information has existed from long ago, and since long ago, we've been creating tons of technology and methods to accomplish those goals. Since forever ago. So although in form it's shinier, in essence, none of it is new. Let's take, for example, the Kindle. New technology instead of printed books. Right now you have Kindles. Let me just see by a show of hands, who here prefers printed paper books rather than Kindle? Okay. Gray, our other elder, would agree with you. Gray, if you don't know him, he's an actual academic, right? And he has pretty high standards for things like reading. He once told me that, you know, if you approach reading as if it's a, it's a pastime that you do during, during your break, then you failed. And I'm like, gosh, okay. He's saying, you, you got to make it a priority, right? You got you to gotta use your best brain power, which is the first three hours when you wake up. You got to use your best brain time uh, to, to read. And I'm like, I wake up at 5 a.m. with my eight-month-old. I'm using the first three hours of my best brain capacity to not scream at the heavens, okay? That's what I'm using my best brain capacity to do. But Gray, Gray knows how the brain works, and, and he, he has very specific things about how to read and stuff, and he doesn't like the Kindle because he thinks that if you read the Kindle, the brain is not as receptive to the information that you get because you need to touch the pages and you need to know where the paragraphs are in each page that when you go, your brain is... Anyways, so he does all that and he's saying, don't do the Kindle, it's bad, read. And I, I think some of you advanced readers would feel the same. I kind of feel the same to some extent. And you know, you know who else felt that? Socrates in 470 BC. William Powers included in his book that it's well recorded in Socrates' day that he too was frustrated, not at a Kindle, obviously, but at a new technology called the scroll. The scroll is a long piece of paper that's rolled up and you write information down on it, right? It's the newest, most cutting edge technology of his day. Socrates said, if we write all this stuff down on paper, instead of trying to force our brains to remember them, our brain will get lazy and we're not gonna be as receptive to information and that'll be the downfall for academia, right? This new scroll technology will be the downfall of humanity, which is, which is funny to think about that his frustrations were probably recorded on a scroll. Um, <laughs> see, what the Kindle does, okay, it makes information more accessible and transferable, right? It's a form, uh, in form, it's new and shiny, but in essence, human beings have looked for ways to make information accessible and more efficient, stored in some kind of way, since forever ago. And we've succeeded to come up with these new technological developments since ages ago. Essentially, it's not that new. We're just today essentially doing the same thing over and over again, just in more metallic and shinier ways. Okay, but the screens and, and smartphones, they're not just used for information, they're used to entertain, right? 
Watch YouTube and Netflix. Surely YouTube and Netflix are new, but Powers, in his book, talks about Hamlet, Shakespeare's play, and asks the reader, what is that? What is Hamlet? What are plays? Plays are Netflix of the day. Human beings since ages ago developed and created things to fulfill their desire to be entertained and to connect emotionally with narratives for ages. Back then, they did it on stages. Now we do it on screens. It's new in form, but in essence, nothing is new under the sun. Okay, well, that's technology. How about other sections of society? Let me just, I find myself refusing to live in this real world, so I have all these questions. I'm just throwing out the questions I had. What about other sections of society? Let's say politics. Okay, look at Indonesia. We've moved forward so much in politics, political democracy. It's great. We have new exciting parties and forms of government that are coming about. Yes, and that's great, and I'm all about that. But the concept of governance and governing a people, that's existed from ages ago. The essence of government is not new. Humans have been making and creating ways to govern a people since a community of people existed. We've cycled around in form, but in essence is the same. The same can be said with studied philosophy and ethics. It can be said of everything, even theological questions. Read your church history. It's the same questions asked in different nuances and answered in different forms. How can Jesus be God and man? How can God be three in one? It's the same. It's the same. So, son, here's the first lesson. Remember, first, you got to accept that life isn't linear. It's painfully cyclical. And all the gains that you think you have at the end of this life will eventually cycle around the Ferris wheel. Lesson number one, you're not on a train track, you're on a Ferris wheel. Lesson number two, you got to accept that we're not really moving forward as much as we think we are. Essentially, we're repeating everything, okay? Just in shinier new ways. So first, you're not on a train track, you're on a Ferris wheel. Second, you're not on a train track, you're on a treadmill. Life is a Ferris wheel and a treadmill. And until you accept that reality, you're not ready to start living. You're not wise. The only reason why we think life is a train track, Solomon says, is because we forget the past. Verse 11, there is no remembrance of former things. We run and we run and we run and we run harder and harder and harder and faster and faster and faster. We do more. We get busy. We gain, we gain, we gain. And Ecclesiastes says, stop, look around. Whatever you think you've accomplished has essentially been done millions of times before, and whatever you think you've gained will eventually cycle away. Stop. Vanity of vanities. Life is under the sun. And as I studied, I'm looking for exceptions and loopholes, right? This is just too depressing to accept. Like a child playing doctor, I refuse to accept the realities of a real hospital. This can't be. It just can't be. The money we have has rotated from other people and will continue to rotate. The buildings that's come up will eventually go down. The life we have will end and many generations will cycle through. The technologies we, in we invented, the political parties, the philosophical ideas, the academic advancements, even theological inquiries that we've made are just fancier versions of what's been happening forever ago. And just like we forgot about what's been happening forever ago, the next generations after us will forget about us too. So what's the point in life? Just to eat, drink, and be merry? Like Solomon says in chapter 8, verse 15. Well, that's one of the points in life. Simply enjoy the merry-go-round. Enjoy the Ferris wheel. But that's not the main point. What's the main point? Well, for that, you got to go all the way to the end of Ecclesiastes, to the very end. you got to go to the very end to make sense of the beginning. Let's do that. Let's see what the narrative says at the 
And uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 to 14, I think it's on the screen. He's, he said everything, he's laid it all out. See, we're only 11 verses in and we're already like feeling gloomy, okay? So imagine after 12 chapters, he said it all. He said it all and he says this, at the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil, which is our last point, the only gain in life. You gotta wake up. Their narrative says, at some point, you gotta accept the reality that life is not linear, and at the end, there's no pile of gold that's gonna statically wait there for you. Life is a Ferris wheel, and it's a treadmill. So here's the application. Stop living on a train track for the illusion of gain, but accept the fact that you're on a Ferris wheel and obey God during every cycle. Why? Why? Because there is reality beyond the sun. God. You know, it's interesting. God here through Ecclesiastes is revealing to his people the harsh reality of life, right? That there's no gain under the sun. There's no gain under the sun. Nothing. But then you go to the New Testament and God reveals something else to us. What does Paul say? Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, not saying we should want to die. No, that's on God and his goodwill, whatever he sovereignly decides. What God is trying to say is this. The only real purpose and gain to have in this Ferris wheel of a life is Christ. During your time here on this Ferris wheel, obey him and grow an intimate, joyful communion with him. And when you die, there will be more gain. Why? Because then you'll see him face to face. The one in whom you've grown to love deeply more than anything or anyone else under the sun. Don't live life as if there's a pile of gold at the end of the road. That's a cruel joke straight from the pit of hell. They're laughing at you. The purpose of life, as we read the statement of faith earlier, the purpose of man, the chief end of man, is to enjoy and glorify God. Let me say it more in an Ecclesiastes kind of way. The purpose of man is to glorify and enjoy God during our time on this earthly Ferris wheel. And then when we're done, forever and ever. See, this is so freeing. It's so freeing. You know the reason why a lot of us are anxious for 2019? is because we realize that time won't stop for us. It's gonna keep going. It's gonna keep going, but yet we haven't gained all that we wish we would have gained at this point in life. And we're anxious that if time doesn't stop by 2020, when 2020 comes, where will I be? We think that, right? What gain would I have? Will I be further down the train track than where I was in 2019? Will I be stuck in this part of the train tracks forever? How about compared to other people? Where will they be? I mean, seriously, who else is getting married in 2019? You know, get married. Just leave me behind on the racetracks, why don't you? And we're anxious. We're anxious for 2019 because we don't want to be stuck in our place down the tracks for the rest of our lives. And Solomon is saying, yes, there's truth to that. Life is more enjoyable, you know, when you have companionship and, and all that. So you can pursue that. But I understand the anxiety, but calm down a little. Calm down a little. Look around you. You're not on a train track. Look around you. Don't live life as if you're going to earn or gain this thing at the end. 
Live life in obedience to God in every season that you're in. That's wisdom. Why do you think Paul can say, I've learned the secret of peace and joy, whether I'm rich or poor. I'm not anxious whether I have plenty or I have little. As long as Christ is glorified, I rejoice. How can he say that? Because he's wise. He's wise. He looked around and he said, hold on a second. I'm not on a train track. This is a Ferris wheel. (laughs) There's no gain at the end of it. There isn't even a road. My purpose here is to enjoy uh, 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 the money that he's given me and, and, and buy food with it if I can. And, and in every booth of the Ferris wheel, he's decided to put me in to be faithful to him and glorify him. See, some seasons you might be in the booth of popularity. Some seasons you might be in the booth of unpopularity. Some seasons you might be in the booth of richness. Some seasons you might be in the booth of poverty, death. Whatever booth I'm in during my time in this Ferris wheel, I will obey God because that is the end of the matter. To live is Christ and to die is gain. But one last thing. In order to have that kind of wisdom, you must, I must first know that beyond a shadow of doubt that when we die, after we're done doing our time here in this Ferris wheel, we have to know beyond a shadow of doubt that you will be with Christ or else you can't say that to die is gain right? We need that assurance of salvation, that when I end this vicious cycle, I'll see him and I'll be embraced by him who exists beyond the sun. Without that assurance, this, this cycle will be even more vicious and scary, okay? Without that assurance, we won't want to glorify God during it. So how can we know that at the end of all of this, God will embrace us? Because the truth of the matter, if we're honest, we haven't really glorified God and enjoyed him with our lives, have we? We haven't really lived for him, We've treated life as if it's a linear road, that we need to gain, 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 and at the end have this big pile of stuff. We haven't lived life as if it's a Ferris wheel to enjoy and glorify and make him the point of everything and not us. If we're honest, we have made all of life about gaining, not worshiping. We've made ourselves God, trying to gain and build our own little kingdoms with little regard of who he is. How can you know? How can you know that at the end of this life, you'll be with him? After all that you've done, after all that I've done, well, here's what the Bible says. We can have that kind of assurance. We can. Not because we're good people. Not because we've earned it all. But because God himself has entered into this tiresome treadmill as one of us. Who? In the person of Jesus Christ. And in that, he said, I will take the punishment you deserve for all your self-centeredness, for all your God-forgetfulness, I'll take everything you deserve upon myself. I will take all your sins and die in your place. I will lose my life so that you will gain it. You know what this does? It doesn't free us from this vicious cycle. No, no, no. The Christian, Christians aren't freed from a cyclical, repetitive pattern of life, right? Jesus didn't die to make your life linear. Life under the sun will always be cyclical, okay? Christians or non-Christians. He died to give you meaning to this pointless cycle. Because now we have a purpose, you see. Not to gain, gain, gain. Not to get stuff for yourself. You have a purpose to glorify him who's embraced you through his death. That's the purpose of this Ferris wheel. Obey him during it. If you, if you see this, if you embrace this, if you accept this, speed and productivity might still be of value to you, but it will no longer be the end-all, be-all. Obedience and faithfulness will. 
because you'll no longer live life in this make-believe linear world of gain, but in a merry-go-round with millions of opportunities to obey God during the ride. Every now and then, catch a good meal. And sure, sometimes, you know, to be faithful to God means you got to run faster. You got to speed up. But a lot of times it means you got to slow down. Sometimes faithfulness for you, I don't know your life situation, what booth you're in, sometimes it means go get a job. Speed up. Pick up the pace. Get a job. Be responsible. Be faithful. Sometimes it means speed up. But for some of you, depending on the booth you're in, it might mean slow down. Slow down. Stop idolizing work. It's not your God. It's not going to give you what you want. It's going to go away. Spend time with your family. Slow down. Sometimes faithfulness means represent God, speed up. You know, you got a new project, do well, do, do good in it. Speed up, pick it up. But sometimes it means to not take a project at all because it's simply ungodly and immoral to do so. Don't do it, slow down. I don't know what booth you're in now or what booth you'll be in the future. Regardless, you have plenty of chances to obey God and glorify him no matter the situation you're in. And that is the only value in this life under the sun to worship the one who exists above the sun but yet has subjected himself to be under the sun and died on a cross for us so that he may embrace us beyond the sun eternally. That's the point of life. (laughs) View every cycle of your life as an opportunity to obey him who died for you. What What does Jesus say God will tell you at the end of this life? Well done, my good and productive servant. Was that his words? No. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful. You have nothing to show for in this world, but you've been faithful to me. Let faithfulness be your keyword, not speed. Let obedience be your goal, not productivity, because this earth is not your home. Oh, the church can just believe that. So obey him while we're in it and live for him while we're here. And if it's faithful to do so, eat some food, have a few drinks. (laughs) Let me end with a quote from C.S. Lewis. The books or the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust to them. It was not in them. Beauty only came through them. For they're not the thing itself. They're only a scent of a flower we have not found the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never yet visited. We are not made for this world. There is something much greater than this Ferris wheel, you know. There is someone much greater who has redeemed you and will welcome you home. May your life and death, Christian, every second of it, communicate glory unto him until you are embraced by him forever. Let's pray. Father, the fall of man began when we made ourselves God. We decided what's right and wrong. We wanted to make our own agendas for this life. But yet you did not live us to our depravity. You did not live live us to our failures and to our desire to want to be you. And although after Adam, we still continue to do so over and over and over again you came down into this Ferris wheel and you died in our place so that we may have purpose for it and live for an eternal reality that is beyond the sun. Thank you 
that you pursued us and came as one of us and died on the cross for our place. Let our lives now communicate glory unto you and you alone, and let that be the only chief end in which we strive for. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.